A large portion of the Jewish nation has returned to its homeland, but the heart, soul, and mind of much of the Jewish nation are still in exile mode. This state of affairs must and will inevitably change. This is Torah Nation TV from Jerusalem, and we are speaking with the head of Machon Shiloh, Rabbi David Bar Chaim. Shalom, Rabbi Bar Chaim. Shalom. Can other languages be traced back to Hebrew? We are all familiar with the story of Mibdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel. In Bereshith Parakud Aleph, Genesis chapter 11, the beginning, Wayhi Chol Haares Safa Ahath Udvarim Ahadim. All people spoke the same language, it states here. All the land, all the earth was one language. Safa Ahath Udvarim Ahadim. Common speech and terminologies, people understood each other. And as we know, the situation changed. In Pasuk Zayn, verse 7, Hava nerada wenavala sham sefatha. Let us go down and confuse their language. So that one will not understand the speech, the language of the other. And the end of this parasha, of this episode, Al-Ken, for this reason, Qara Shema Bavel, this place was called Bavel, Kisham Balal Adonai Safath Kol Haares, because at that place, Hashem confused and confounded the language of people, Umisham Hafisam Adonai Alpanei Kol Haares, and from there, people were dispersed geographically across the earth. This episode describes an original language that was then somehow confused. Now, what does that mean, confused? Other languages came into existence. There was confusion, but it was based on the original language. And therefore, we should be able to trace the original language, the root language, the source of language, in other languages as well. On the other hand, if all these languages remained completely recognizable and basically the same, if not absolutely identical, but similar to the extent that one could readily recognize and understand how one term refers to another term, how one word is related to another word, then there would be no confusion, then people would still understand each other. So there has to be some kind of balance, as it were, between the confusion and the connection. On the one hand, the connection between languages and the differences, which nevertheless ensure that there will be confusion and a lack of understanding. In other words, the answer is yes. Many words in many languages can, I believe, be traced definitely to Hebrew root words. And there is always a connection 
the words will not be identical, but there will be a clear connection between the Hebrew word or root and the word in the other language. So as I said, the answer is yes. And a perfect example of this is the Hebrew word yesh, because I believe the word yes and the Hebrew word yesh are exactly the same word. Now, at first glance, this may sound strange to many people. However, as soon as a person realizes that in the Hebrew alphabet, we have two letters which are almost identical. That is to say, the letter shin, which is the consonantal sound sh, sh in English, and the same letter is also pronounced, can be pronounced sin as opposed to shin. It can be pronounced sin as a sir, as an s sound. The difference being that if the dot on top of that letter is on the right of the letter, it is a shin, and if it is to the left, on the left side of that letter, it is a sin. And therefore, any word which is written with that letter could be pronounced either as a sh or, or as a sir. So that the word yesh, by simply moving the dot on top of the second letter of that two-letter word yesh, from the right side of the letter shin to the left side, thus rendering it a sin, the word would then be pronounced yes. It's as simple as that. And there are examples in Hebrew of words that are written with that letter, shin, but the dot is on the left, and so therefore it is a sin, and the word is pronounced as a, the letter is pronounced as an s, as a s. On the other hand, if we consult the concise Ox Oxford Dictionary, entry yes, the etymology, as given here, is from Old English, and the Old English word is geze, or geze, or gize, or gise, which does not sound exactly, in fact, not even very close to the word yes, nor is it close to the Germanic equivalent, which is ja, or ye, or ye, or ye, as in, in Old English, as they still vote in many parliaments, shall we say, where they, the yes and the nays. The word gize, or geze, or gese is, shall we say, only remotely similar. There is an entirely different consonant, the G. There is a common S, but there is an entirely different consonant G, and it's unclear where this comes from. But this is apparently the best that the linguists can come up with. And this is how it appears in other diction dictionaries as well. It seems to me, therefore, that the Hebrew word yesh, or as explained, pronounced very with very slight alteration, with the very exact same letters, with the shifting of that one dot on top of that letter, which is a fundamental feature of the Hebrew language, though the word yesh is a much better suggestion for the etymology of the word yes. Because, after all, the word yesh in Hebrew can either mean yes, literally yes, exactly the same meaning, or it can mean there is, or something exists. In other words, an affirmation. For example, if in Hebrew, 
one person asks the other, is there milk? You would say in Hebrew, yesh halav, is there milk? And the answer could be either the word, the, the normal standard Hebrew word for yes in modern Hebrew, which is ken, which means correct. Or the answer could equally be yes, there is, which also means exactly yes. So we have, in fact, two nearly identical words in Hebrew and English. Yes and yes. In both cases, you have two consonantal sounds. In English, the Y, the Y, and the S, the S. And so you have in the Hebrew, you have the Yod, two letters in Hebrew, the word Yesh, Yod and Shin. The Yod is the Y. And the Shin, the Sh, as we explained, can also be read as a S. So it is exactly the same letter. In Hebrew, there are only two letters because... In Hebrew script, only the consonants are generally represented and the vowels are not written or not necessarily written. In a Torah scroll, for example, there are no vowels. The text is not vocalized. One sees the words, the consonantal text, and one has to know how to read the word and what vowels to use in order to express that word. English is very different, of course, where you have both the consonants and the vowels represented by individual letters. So in English, you have the additional letter of E to indicate the, the vowel sound of E, and therefore you have the word yes. That vowel sound is in Hebrew, if you write it out fully with, in a vocalized fashion, you have two dots under the yod, under the y, the consonant for the y sound, to indicate that it is to be read as ye. But it is exactly the same word. If you remove the E because it is the vowel sound, which is therefore not the essential part of the, of the word, the fundamental components of the word are the Y and the S, and that is exactly what we have in the Hebrew word yesh, or yes. None of this, of course, would occur to a person trained in linguistics in the usual fashion, because such a person was trained to think and to, one should say, perhaps to believe rather than to think that English or many words in English can be traced back to a, a language, a hypothetical language, the existence for which there is a precisely zero proof, a hypothetical construct known as Indo-European, the Indo-European root language. There is no evidence that there was such a language. But within the constraints of that system, the best etymology for the word yes was the Old English term, for which there one can adduce evidence. Uh, the Old English term, gise or gese or geze, geze, something like that, which they claim is the origin of the word yes. And I leave it to you to toss up in your mind and conclude which is the more likely and the more obvious etymology. So the source of yes is yesh, which can easily be pronounced with exactly the same letters as yes.
The word source is another very good and I think convincing example of this same phenomenon. If we consult, again, the concise Oxford Dictionary, the word source is explained as follows. A spring, a fountainhead, or an origin or place or person from which thing, thing comes, etc., etc. The etymology of the word source is given here in the concise Oxford Dictionary as Middle English coming from originally the Old French, from the word soul or source, written here S-O-R-S. So literally you would pronounce that as written, you would pronounce that as source or source, something like that. It is also written here alternately as S-O-U-R-S-E, which is, I suppose, in the medieval French, source. And these terms are said to be derived from the French verb soudre, which is, means to rise, apparently from the Latin term or root word surgere, which is to rise or to raise. And from this we find, under the entry surge, this is the origin of the word surge, surgere in the Latin. And in this somewhat less well-known dictionary, the universal dictionary of the English language, under the entry surge, we are told that the etymology of this word is from the Latin, as we said before, which broken into two words, sur, which is above or up, and rigere, which is to guide or to direct. So to surge is to guide or to direct up. And this, of course, has to do with the motion of water, shall we say, surging up from a spring or a well or something of that nature. So, according to these dictionaries, the English word surge is to be traced back to the Latin word surgere, which is to rise, rise up, which itself is from the prefix sur, which is up, upward, and the rigere, which means to direct. And therefore, surgere is to direct something in an upward motion. And from this, it is claimed, we have the word source. Now, all of this could be understood and might be somewhat convincing. I would not myself describe it as very convincing or very obvious, this etymology, but it might be understood if we were referring to the source, the origin of a river, of a stream, a spring from, the, where, from which water flows or rises up, we could understand the word source in that sense. But the word source, we know, does not only refer to the rising up or the welling up, the swelling up of water. It also refers to simply the origin or the root of something. It therefore seems to me that a much more likely and authentic etymology for the word source is the Hebrew word shoresh. Shoresh, pronounced more correctly, shoresh, is of course written with the letter shin, both at the beginning and the end of the word. And the letter shin, as we have explained, is also the letter sin, 
The sh can also be read as a sir if the dot is simply shifted to the other side of the same very same letter. And therefore the word shoresh can also be read as sores. And with slightly different vowels, instead of sores, it could be simply source. You can literally write the word source, the English word or the phonetic values of that word source in Hebrew with the letter sin, which is the letter shin, and the letter wa, which indicates the, or without the letter wa, which indicates the uh, vowel sound o, and the resh, which is the r, and, and again the shin or sin at the end of the word. The very same letters with a very small change in the vowels. And as we have explained in Hebrew, the vowels are always interchangeable and fluid and elastic. That is the essence and that is the basic format of the language that it is written with consonantal signs with letters which represent the consonantal sounds whereas the vowels can be changed and are always able to change in order to indicate a different tense or passive as opposed to an active etc. So you have the word, for example, ya'ase, which is he will do, or ya'ase, it will be done. The very same consonantal letters with very small change in the, in the vowels. You can write the word shoresh, write it in one way with certain vowel sounds, and end up with the word shoresh. You can change those vowels very, very slightly, and the shin can be read as a sin. And instead of shoresh, or shorsh, you could also read it, the same letters could be pronounced without the vowels indicating how you pronounce it. Those very same letters in Hebrew, instead of being shoresh, could be read as shorsh, and instead of shorsh, it can be source or source. And that is precisely the same word. And here we have a word which in Hebrew means root. The word shoresh means the root, such as a plant. The root, the origin of something, from which something springs, not limited to the sense of water rising up or it has, doesn't have anything to do with an upward motion at all. It simply means the root or the origin, the source of something. And to round out this, this discussion, the shiur for today, in Parashat Bereshith, the first parashah, the first section of the book of Bereshith, Genesis, Perek Aleph Pasuk Teth, chapter 1, verse 9, Wayomer Elohim, God said, May the waters gather together into one place. And the, let the earth be seen, become visible. And so it was. And Hashem referred to the dry land as Eres, and to the collection, the gathering together of the water, the seas, he referred to as Yamim, seas, oceans. And Hashem saw that it was good. The origin of the word Mikwe, which in Hebrew both 
in the Torah and in modern Hebrew, the word mikwe is a pool or a collection of water, a place where water has gathered together. The Shadal, Rabbi Shmuel David Lutzato, in his commentary, his Perush on the Torah, he writes that the origin, the source, the Shoresh, the exact same word we spoke of before, in Hebrew, this is in linguistic terms, this refers to the root of a word. The Shoresh of the word Mikwe is Kawa, Kof Wau He. This word Kawa says Shadal comes from the Hebrew word ko, pronounced in modern Hebrew as kav, but more correctly pronounced ko, which means a line or a flat surface. Now, you all know that water and other liquids, when they are poured down into a lower geographical position, they form a pool, and the surface of that pool is straight. It is a straight line, as opposed to solids, which if they are thrown down a hill uh, to the bottom of that hill, they will not form a flat, straight line. They will be jumbled and uh, one on top of the other. It is the nature of water to form a straight line when, when at rest. From, therefore, from the word ko, which means line or straight, we have the word mikwe, or the root of that word is kawa, which is to gather together, to form a pool, which is also a straight line, which describes a straight flat line. And in Hebrew, the word, therefore, for a collection, a pool of water, is a mikwe, a ritual bath in, in Hebrew, in halacha, in Jewish law, in the Torah, is referred to as a mikwe, mikwe maim, a pool of water. And that is what is being referred to here in, the, in, this, in this pasuk, in this verse, that the waters were caused to gather together into form large collections of waters called seas and oceans, and the land masses rose up out of the water and became visible, and thus the landmass, the dry land, was separated from the water. This is described in this pasuk, in this verse in the Torah, and the seas are described as a mikwe maim, a collection of water. Rabbi David Shmuel Lutzato, the Shadal, explains in his perush, in his commentary, that the word mikwe can be seen also in the Latin word for water, which is aqua. Aqua is exactly the same, almost exactly the same, as the word kau, which is a straight line in Hebrew, a flat straight line, and from because that is the nature of water to form that kind of physical shape and aspect, it is referred to as a mikwe, and in Latin he claims this is aqua, water, in related languages such as Spanish, agua. And he claims further that the word for straight in Latin, which is aikos, is also related to this very same root. These are just a few examples of the literally thousands, I do not exaggerate, thousands of examples where Hebrew root words can be traced and found to be the source, the origin, 
and the root of many words in many languages. And therefore, the words of the Torah that the earth and people spoke, spoke a language which was understood by all, which was then confused and confounded and transmuted in such a way that on the one hand it would be confusing and one would not understand the other. On the other hand, the confusion is not such that we cannot discover these connections. The truth of this is literally before us, before our eyes and in our mouths, in the words that we speak. Thank you, Rabbi Bar Chaim. We would like to encourage our listeners to share these podcasts with friends and send in your responses. We would also like to suggest the following opportunity to our listeners. If you identify with Rabbi Barheim's message and would like to sponsor or dedicate a podcast in honor or memory of a loved one, if you would like to obtain Birkon, Nusach Eretz Israel, or invite the rabbi for a speaking engagement, please email us at office at machonshilo.org.